Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Robin Bolton on the show today. Robin Bolton is the founder and chief navigator of Mile Zero, where she works with executives in mid and large cap companies to use innovation tools to create growth and new revenue. Previously, she was a partner at Innosight, the growth strategy firm founded by Harvard professor Clayton Christensen, and worked with companies like Nike, P&G, and Medtronic to bring innovation to life. She started her career as an entrepreneur at P&G, where she led the North American launch of Swiffer, global development and launch of Swiffer WetJet, and strategy and marketing for P&G's $2 billion household needs portfolio at Walmart. Her articles on innovation have appeared in Fast Company, Bloomberg Businessweek, Forbes, and Harvard Business Review Online, and her perspective has been featured in the New York Times and NPR's Marketplace. Robin, we're so excited to have you today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jared. I'm so excited to be here. Well, let's jump right in. Tell me, uh, you seem very qualified to uh, let us all know what is innovation? Innovation is something different that creates value. And I know that definition is, is short and sweet, but you know, I, think, I think it's important to keep it, keep it simple. Yeah, I love it. Something different that creates value. Tell me more about that. So I, um, when I talk to my clients about this, and I also uh, teach innovation for, for executives in various industries, and I break that definition apart really into three chunks. So something, the first word in the definition, is really around, say, you know, most people associate innovation with a new product. Mm-hmm. And that's true. But innovation doesn't have to be limited to products. It could be a service. It could be a revenue model, you know, switching from selling something to leasing something. It could even be a process. You know, you think of like the Toyota production system. Right, right. That's a huge innovation. So something could be anything. Yeah, literally something, uh, nothing more or less than that, right? Exactly. Yep. And then the, the second important word there is is also the second word so different Mm -hmm. and again i think it's because people think that innovation has to be new like new to the world and it doesn't it could be new to the world it could be new to your industry it could be new to your company Mm -hmm. or it could be an improvement on something that currently exists so again you know you're not limited, just like you aren't limited to a product, you aren't limited to introducing something new to the world. It needs to be different. Right. So different doesn't necessarily mean new. It means just that different. Precisely. Got it. And then the last and most important part of the definition is actually the last couple of words, which is creates value. Mm. And The reason I say that's the most important part of the definition is because that value creation is really what I think innovation is all about and what differentiates innovation from invention. And so innovation has to create value for customers. So for the people who use whatever the something different is, it has to create value for the company that's offering it. 
And, you know, ideally it, it creates value for the larger ecosystem, you know, within which the company is operating or the mm -hmm. innovation is interacting. And so that value creation is, is really, really critical in the definition. That, that makes perfect sense. And I, I would love to hear a bit more from you about um, value. I know you've had clients in all sorts of industries and, and you know, even things you've seen in, in uh, you know, outside of your, your, your working domain. Um, when you talk about creating value, what are some of the different types of value creation you've seen from innovation? There are lots of different kinds of value. So the ones that almost always come immediately to mind for folks is, you know, revenue, right, it's right. profit, mm -hmm. um, you know, cost reduction. And again, all of those fall under that umbrella of value. I think mm -hmm. the other things that fall under that umbrella are thinking about, you know, are you making, you know, is this easier, something right. easier for people are, you know, is this faster? Is this less expensive? Does this help them save time? You know, some of those other dimensions of value that are a little bit harder to quantify. Mm -hmm. um, and even from, if you think about innovation within a company, things that value creation is increasing employee retention, increasing loyalty. So it, value can, again, mean a lot of different things. And some are easy to quantify, some aren't. But right. it's, again, a, a pretty broad, broad term. Right, right. Uh, thank you for, for, for explaining on that. Um, tell me, what, what isn't innovation? As I was preparing for this, that was one of the questions that gave me pause. And <laughs> where I knitted out, um, and I love questions that make me stop and think, love them. Um, and where I came out on that is that invention is not innovation. Mm. So what I mean by that is um, one of the things I... I often say to clients is that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm, so true. And I view an invent invention as something you can do. Something you should do is innovation. And the should is around the creating value. And, you know, I don't want to put in invention down. Invention is super, super important. Mm -hmm. And invention may be a critical aspect of innovation. But I think if you create something and no value comes from it, then you miss that really important part of the definition of innovation. So help me understand, um, when we think about invention versus innovation and uh, can versus should, mm -hmm. um, how kind of, if, if we think about the, the corporate innovator sitting out in the audience, you know, you and I are both <laughs> were those entrepreneurs at one point. Yep. Um, uh, you know, how do you, how can, how can entrepreneurs be sure that they are, they are innovating and not inventing? The best place to start is to solve a problem mm. and even better than just solving a problem is making sure that your customers have that problem. So I think a lot of times, and, you know, a lot of startups are, are kind of founded this way in terms of, you know, the founder has a problem and they create something to solve it. And turns out a lot of other people have that problem too. Right, right. You know, what happens in, in companies a lot of times is, you know, folks in R&D, and I don't mean to pick on R&D, they like, I love R&D. <laughs> 
they are absolutely essential. Um, <laughs> so I'm absolutely not picking on them at all. That's where I grew but, up. So yes, I know. And <laughs> love you guys. But uh, a lot of times it's, you know, folks in R&D, you know, have an amazing technology. They have um, something amazing. They're like, we can do something with this. Mm-hmm. And then they create something. And it turns out that either nobody has the problem that that thing was designed to solve or that problem isn't big enough that people are willing to pay for a solution. I see, right. It's almost uh, it's almost a very, you know, modern chicken egg kind of conundrum mm-hmm. where um, it, sometimes people invent something and then try to manufacture the value creation. Um, yep. Does it make sense then that uh, or does it follow then that uh, that it, the the right approach might be to identify the source of value and then uh, understand whether invention is necessary? I think so, and I recognize that's a strong bias on my part. Of you know, start with you know, that outside in mm-hmm. perspective, you know, customer centricity, right? And you know, really understand from the customer's point of view what what the problem is that they need solved, not necessarily the solution. Right. Um, consumers, us as people were terrible coming up with solutions. We're great <laughs> with, you know, understanding problems. So understand the problem and then figure out all the different ways that it could be solved. Um, so that's my bias. Um, but I will say there, there's an argument to be made that, you know, sometimes you can have great innovations coming out of the lab. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to say that's not a good way to do it. I don't want to say that that doesn't work. I think it just, it's a lot harder to, to do. And I see a lot more companies struggle when they are kind of a, an inside out right. sort of innovation, just because, you know, people fall in love with what they create. It's the Ikea effect. We overvalue the things that we have a hand in creating <laughs> and, Interesting. you know, so it, if something comes from within the company, a lot of times the company is in love with it and the market doesn't feel the same way. And then, then it's hard to create value. Right. If I think back to your definition, uh, the something piece is clear when it's inside mm-hmm. out. Um, the, you know, it's, I think the, the value it's the, ta- it's the, it's that third piece, the creating value um, and then also in the context of the differentiation, different versus new. And I think having grown up in R&D, the challenge with innovation that is originated within R&D is to understand that there's no amount of new that can offset a lack of value creation, if I use your definition. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's what's hard for scientists and engineers to swallow is this is a brilliant invention. You know, there's not five people on the planet who could have created this thing. So it has to be, you know, the difficulty and, and, and uniqueness of it has to be somewhere reflected in the value, you know, it, it reflected as values for someone somewhere. So let's go find them. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's, you said it perfectly. And, you know, I come from a, a family of engineers. I'm married to an mm-hmm. engineer and I see the struggle. Right. all the time. And I have right. a lot of empathy for it, but it, it really does come down to, you know, if you're, if you're working in, in business, 
in a corporate setting, you know, the business has, has numbers and ultimately you have to contribute to those. And so that's where the value, why the value is important. Exactly. It's a, to me, it's the singer songwriter versus, you know, um, pop star kind of effect, you know, singer songwriter might have more quote unquote talent and may have written the song themselves, but, um, you know, it's, the value received is a function of the value perceived by the, by the end user, by the consumer, by the customer. Um, and, uh, and so I think it's important for uh, us engineers and scientists out there to, uh, to find value in the process of creation and invention uh, and to see the, you know, to see our own, you know, to find value for ourselves in that process, independent of what the external value is but also understand that, you know, you, you've, you've chosen to be an entrepreneur, you're chosen, you've chosen to be part of a for-profit entity and everybody that's part of a for-profit entity needs to be contributing to profit, right? Yep. So I appreciate that little m- moment of therapy for my- uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, I, I feel like I was a little rain cloud on <laughs> your engineering grade. I- <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's what I think separates companies like uh, P&G and others from, from, from their peers, which is they have engineers, they have um, scientists who understand the importance of value creation and companies that struggle uh, are the ones that have to fight that battle at a functional level. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, P&G is lucky to not have to fight it at a functional level. It's more of a project to project kind of conversation. <laughs> Yes, very true. So tell me a bit more about um, outcomes. I'm fascinated by outcomes in the innovation space. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what does an outcome look like from an innovation process? Great question. And I would say, you know, going back to a thing we've got going is that the ideal outcome from an innovation process is value creation. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is it's, it does, it's not necessarily, oh, we've launched something into the market and here's the revenue that we got from it. Although that's certainly one way I would say, you know, or, you know, we've changed a process and look, we've reduced costs again, one way, one way to measure value. Right. I think there's also a lot to be said and a lot of value in learning. And one of the things that is true of innovation when it's done right, Mm -hmm. and by done right, I mean kind of done honestly, is that there's gonna be things that that don't work. Right. Anytime you're doing something different, you don't have full knowledge. So you're making assumptions and some of those assumptions are gonna be wrong. And sometimes those wrong assumptions mean you need to shut down the project. Sometimes they mean you need to pivot pretty hard. Right. Um, And there's learning in all of that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I can see, you know, especially for an organization that's really trying to build, you know, skills and capabilities and even a culture of innovation, Mm -hmm. there is incredible value from innovation projects that they might deemed failed right but because there's learning and that learning if it gets shared and if the people who are on that project 
you know, continue working at the company instead of getting fired, which is what everyone assumes happens right. to an innovation team when the project <laughs> goes away. Right. And so that's huge value creation as well. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine amongst your clients, uh, there might there's probably a tension between mm -hmm. the value of learning and the value of dollars, um, yes. and how to how to strike a balance. Have you seen that or witnessed that at all? Yeah, there's definitely a tension and there's also definitely a, a cultural and a, I'd say personal bias to anything that looks like failure. Mm. I mean, a smile is saying that because I know one of the those mantras coming out of Silicon Valley is like, fail fast. And it's like, right, right. Nobody likes to fail regardless of the speed it's done at. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> nobody wants to fail fast. No one wants to fail slow. No one wants to fail. Right. And so reframing it as we've learned. Mm -hmm. We haven't failed, we've learned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Thomas Edison had the great quote, which I'm sure, you know, I will completely butcher, but it's, you know, I didn't fail when inventing the light bulb, he didn't fail a thousand times. He just failed. He just found a thousand different ways not to do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. As long as the company is learning as it goes, it's creating value internally. And actually through those learnings is going to be able to get something to market faster that is going to generate the revenue. Mm, right, right, right. That makes perfect sense. I, I'm circling now in my head back to a comment you made uh, about uh, as long as it's done honestly. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about what that means. I have a, I think I, know what you mean, but I'd love to hear what you mean. <laughs> so yeah, as long as it's done honestly, I, uh, a lot of times I see, you know, especially, you know, companies who are relatively new at innovation. Mm -hmm. And but oftentimes these are kind of mid cap companies where, you know, they've grown really fast. They've kind of had their first portfolio of stuff out there. They're doing really well. And now it's time for like the second generation of products right? or services or whatever that is. And, and so what often happens is they kind of Trojan horse things. And what I mean by that is they, they say, okay, you know, we've read all the books, we've read all the articles. We know we have to solve a problem. Here's the problem we're solving. And when you look at it, you're like, yeah, this isn't a problem. This is you rephrasing your solution as a problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so that's what I mean by they, they uh, Trojan horse it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm flashing. I'm having lots of flashbacks right now that you put, you encapsulated that perfectly. Yeah. So, um, so there's that kind of honesty of like, okay, let, let's just be honest about what we're presenting here. And you're presenting a solution in search of a problem and not a problem in search of a solution. Right. So that's kind of one aspect of honesty. The other is, and you know, I see this all the time, and I'm quite certain I was guilty of it when I was at P&G, of um, kind of gaming the system. Mm -hmm. yep. And you know, you say, okay, you know, we have to have a pipeline of ideas, and so you just come up with ideas to meet a metric of we have 50 ideas. Right. And it's like, well, come on, like, yeah, you have 50 ideas, but. Are they good ideas? Are they relevant? Are they aligned strategically? Like, come on. <laughs> and, and, so, <laughs> and so that's where sometimes, you know, a little bit of, 
of the dishonesty, all from good intention, but a right. little bit of the dishonesty kind of comes in. Yeah. Okay. That's that makes sense, and it definitely resonates. I, I think it also goes back to your could versus should um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, comment as well. You know, um, I've definitely given those presentations myself. Where you know, here's this new technology. Here are the forty-seven things we could do with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get the pat on the back. Great job. This sounds very promising, you know, yeah. um, and, and it just becomes this reinforcing uh, a cycle that that focuses on could instead of instead of should, uh, yep. as, you, as you put it. Yep. And you want to start with, you know, what's possible? What could we do? But you don't want to stay there. Stay. That's it. That's exactly right. You got to <laughs> once you're there, you then move on to should. Right, right. It's a step in the process. You you have to move from could to should. That's that's mm-hmm. that's well said. You're a founder and chief navigator of Mile Zero, uh, and you've been a lot of places, done a lot of things with you know a lot of big names and 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 big thinkers in the space. What have you? What did you bring from your previous experience into your founding of uh, Mile Zero from an innovation standpoint? Oh, I brought so much. I mean, everything, everything I've done leading up to founding Mile Zero has made Mile Zero possible. And so, you know, for my work at P&G, I bring that experience of actually working within a big company mm-hmm. to try to do things differently. So I viscerally understand how hard it is. I have a great deal of empathy for entrepreneurs. I think being an entrepreneur is one of the hardest jobs out there because you're trying to get people to act in a way that's almost opposite of what's in their interest. Would you define entrepreneur for folks? Oh, yeah. So an entrepreneur is essentially a a corporate entrepreneur. So it is Mm -hmm. someone who is working to do innovation within the context of a big company. And you know, while an entrepreneur, so someone who's creating their own company, you know, obviously have a lot, has a lot of challenges. It is by no means <laughs> easy. They have a degree of freedom that entrepreneurs don't have because right. entrepreneurs have to make sure that their work aligns with the priorities and the strategies of the company they're in. Right. And I, I wonder if there's, um, that's, that's why I was curious about your journey because you kind of walked that walk that path from entrepreneur to, you know, um, a you know, strategist and consultant to entrepreneur. And I, I was curious about the, the insights you might've, might've gleaned on, on, on that path. Yeah. So I am totally an accidental entrepreneur. I never <laughs> in my life thought I would have my own business ever. Right. And I would say that one of the biggest insights that I've had is that it is so much harder than it looks. Mm. And, you know, I, when I was at PNG, I, I often bristled under the process. There were times that I saw, you know, decisions being made to comply with process right. versus, you know, what was best in my opinion, my junior executive opinion. Right. And, and I hated that. Um, I, I have a lot more understanding now. Um, <laughs> And then even as a consultant, you know, I read all the books and the articles and I always thought like, why, you know, there's so much been written about starting a company or, you know, how to think about strategy, how to build a business. Like, why is it so hard? 
And then I started my own and I was like, oh my gosh, all the stuff the books are written about, the strategy, the processes, the operations, that's the easy part. Mm -hmm. The hard part, (laughs) the hard part is, is the emotions and the roller coaster and, you know, kind of managing yourself day to day. Right. And, you know, when I was an entrepreneur, you know, yeah, then there's also a lot of managing your emotions and managing yourself, but it's a lot easier to, at least for me to kind of rail against the system. Mm-hmm. Um, when I have my own business, I am the system I'm railing against. And, right. Oh, that's a good yeah. point. It's... So, so that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. So I can imagine. Well, I don't have to imagine. I. You know it. Yeah. I, I can empathize directly with that. And I wonder if there's a, you know, you described yourself as an accidental entrepreneur. Um, I'm, I'm imagining that uh, you built this company as a solution to a problem that you saw, I would assume. Mm-hmm. If that's, yeah. if I'm reading into that accidental entrepreneur statement appropriately. Yeah, definitely. You know, there is a, there's a real problem out there. I mean, the success rate of corporate innovation is still, you know, abysmally low. And this is, you know, 20, 25 years after the first publication of the innovators dilemma, which, you know, I think like made innovation part of, you know, the business vernacular. And you think of all of the books and all of the articles and all of the consulting firms Mm -hmm. and all of the billions of dollars spent to improve. And yet the needle has barely moved. So clearly, we're missing something. Right, right. And I don't by any means pretend that I have the answer. But what I did recognize is that a lot of times, you know, especially coming from consulting, that, and you know, I was a consultant at the Boston Consulting Group, I was a consultant at Insight, is that a lot of times consultants kind of come in and they come in with, you know, the perfect framework or the perfect theory. And that's great, but as the the noted innovation philosopher Mike Tyson once said, <laughs> everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Oh my goodness, I love that quote. I mean, wisdom <laughs> can come from anywhere, and that was yes, it's an unlikely source. <laughs> it but is. It's with totally right. <laughs> and and so that's the thing is like, yeah, you come at you know, you give a perfect framework, you give like a, a perfect customer segmentation, but if the company can't act on it, if it's not practical, if it doesn't work within their systems, it's not going to get used. Right. And so there was, I felt like there was a real need for very, very practical innovation help. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I noticed, and this is really born out of all of the work that I've done over the years in terms of, you know, understanding customers is that people decide with their hearts and they justify with their heads, but it takes guts to act. Mm, I like that. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of times in business, we're only talking, you know, when you think about talking to executives, we're only talking to their heads. We're giving data, we're giving frameworks, and it's a very left brain sort of appeal. Mm -hmm. But executives are humans too, and they have hopes and fears and aspirations and worries and insecurities. And so just like the rest of us humans, they're actually deciding 
based on what to do next, based on all of those, you know, motivations, fears, et cetera. And then they're justifying, they're rationalizing with the data, the frameworks, the left brain stuff. Right. And totally. Mm -hmm. And so when you offer help, you need to speak to the heart, you need, and you need to speak to the head versus just speaking to the head. And you also have to help them have the guts to take the action. And especially in innovation, which can take a while to see results and pay off, Mm -hmm. it's the guts to act and the guts to continue to persevere over the long haul. Right, exactly. That's brilliant. I think the guts, the guts to act piece is uh, so critical. And, 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 you know, not like you said, not just to act, but to um, persevere. Uh, and, and, you know, when the outcomes are not instantaneous, my hat goes off to every entrepreneur, entrepreneur, every innovator on the planet, because really one of the few jobs in the corporate knowledge workspace where you're going to have to wait to find Mm -hmm. out if you got it right. And in the meantime, you've got to be doing something, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so do you keep doing what you were doing or do you do something else? Um, yeah. it's, it's a tough dilemma and you got to have guts, like you said, to, to really stick with it. Yeah. I mean, it's a really special person who will, you know, make investments and take risks knowing that they probably won't be in that role when the benefits come. That's, that's so true. Yeah. You're with the cycle of, oh, let's get this person into the ne- into the next position to get them re- prepared for the next position. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the innovation life cycle is, is often outside of that window. Yeah. Great point. Any, any advice, uh, perfect segue to, to <laughs> any advice for uh, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, uh, people who are just interested in innovation? A few pieces of advice. And I will, I will preface all of this with saying that I, I give advice that I myself do not take. Um, and I really should. So if people meet me and they're like, you, you said to do this, but you're not I'll be like, yeah, I know that's, yeah. that's my deal. You were talking and to yourself too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first thing I would say is talk to your customers. Mm-hmm. You will, you will never go wrong talking to your customers. You will never go wrong really approaching your customers with empathy and truly listening and listening with an open mind. You know, what I, I train people on how to do qualitative research, you know, I often tell them like the person you're talking to for that period of time, they are the most interesting person in the entire world. And right. your job is to learn from them. Right. Yeah. Um, so first piece, talk to your customers. Hmm. Um, second is, you know, I think it is, It's really important that you don't try to do this on your own. Having different points of view, having different expertise, you know, getting other voices in. It's it's so important, you know, from just kind of like managing managing yourself and your emotions, as we (laughs) talked about. Um, And so having people who can be the voice of reason. And but then also, you know, coming up with ideas and you know, testing them and refining them. There is there's always value in multiple perspectives. Right. 
And then the the third piece of advice, because you know, consultant, everything's in threes. Gotta, gotta be do, in threes. I gotta oh. do three. Um, <laughs> is have a sense of humor. Like, mm. my gosh, things are gonna go wrong, and if you cannot laugh at them, you are gonna spend a lot of time crying. So, have a sense of humor. Be able to laugh at yourself. Be able to laugh when things go wrong. And I just, we're all we're all just doing our best. And so when things go sideways, find the humor in it. Uh, I think that's you close with the the most important one uh, of all. I, and I, I'm gonna I've got plenty of things I need to laugh at this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> oh, those are great insights, and and thank you for sharing them, and thank you, Robin, for your time today. Um, it's been a great conversation. Uh, I've personally learned a lot, and I, I hope uh, hope others find the same value in 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 what you shared. Great. No, this was a tremendous amount of fun, Jared. Thank you. Yeah, time flew by. We'll have to do it again sometime. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Take care, Rob. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC. That's O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C. Or follow us on LinkedIn, where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means.